Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Hello, and welcome to a special edition of the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Albright. I am Chief Legislative Affairs Officer for Zealous Payments, Z-E-L-I-S. I'm also the Communications Committee Chair for Weedy. That's W-E-D-I, the Work Group for Electronic Data Interchange, and Weedy produces this podcast. In our last episode, we talked with Ed Hafner, chair-elect of the Weedy Board, about the recent National Committee on Vital Health Statistics, or NCVHS, and their meeting in early June. We learned a bit about what Weedy suggested to the NCVHS about the electronic healthcare standards that are needed to bring the healthcare industry into the future. Today, we have another guest that was at that NCVHS meeting. Nancy Spector is chair of the Weedy Board. Nancy's day job is coding and HIT advocacy director at the American Medical Association. And today we're going to talk to Nancy more about that NCVHS meeting and Weedy's suggestions on when electronic standards should be adopted by the industry. Nancy, welcome and so very glad to have you here on The Collective Voice. Hi, Matthew. Thanks for having me. I always enjoy participating in the podcast. Good, good. And, and as the chair of Weedy, uh, we're excited to have you here and, and tell us more about uh, Weedy's involvement in the NCVHS. So, so tell us a little bit more about uh, NCVHS's June meeting. Uh, what was the goal of the meeting there? Sure. It was a, um, actually, they were calling it a listening session. And um, they had three different panels uh, throughout the day with, um, I'm not even sure how many participants were on each panel. The first panel was probably the largest with probably 10 or 12 participants. The second panel had, you know, five to seven. And then the final panel had another five to seven or 10 uh, participants. So they really um, were talking to a wide number of organizations within healthcare and getting feedback on um, specific considerations that they had um, recently um, identified and had actually sent in a letter in March to um, the secretary of HHS. And these recommendations um, were around um, or um, allowing the adoption of new technologies such as FHIR and streamlining the process for adopting HIPAA standards. So those were the recommendations and then um, in that letter and then this listening session was then teasing out five considerations that the subcommittee on standards for um, within NCVHS was um, looking um, to um, expand on and create additional recommendations that they would um, be then sending to the secretary. So it's it's an iterative process, I guess. I, I hate to make that sound you know clear as mud, but um, a lot of times that work that NCVHS is doing is iterative. They do some fact-finding and some consolidating of that information and then come to some conclusions that they then um, ask industry participants to um, provide you know, specific feedback on that. And then from that, they drill down even further and come to some recommendations. And they may even ask again for input on those specific recommendations before sending that off to the secretary. Gotcha. Very good. So it's almost, a, um, you know, so often in uh, legislation, we are, as an industry, are given a chance to comment 
uh, after the regulation has been written, right, has been proposed and it's out there. This sounds like it's pre-regulation, right? This is before HHS comes out with a regulation. Industry, you know, weedy, they get to discuss amongst themselves what recommendations would be, goes to NCVHS, NCVHS goes back and forth with industry, and that, and then it's further refined into a, almost a pre-advisory to the, to the legislation. Is that, is that appropriate? Yes, yes. For some of the regulatory activity that happens within HHS, CMS, um, you know, obviously there's other ways in which um, regulatory activity happens, you know, through direct legislative requirements. But um, yeah, for um, what we've been seeing around um, the, you know, HIPAA transactions and code sets, um, this has been a process where, you um, the NCVHS has done that industry outreach, um, industry involvement in, in those discussions and then um, have made those recommendations, which then funnel into CMS, calling for CMS at the time um, um, in previous actions to then issue regulation to carry out what, you know, had, um, there's what NCVHS has found to be industry consensus on. Gotcha. Very good. So yeah. tell us tell us more then about uh, the questions in front of panel one at that meeting. Sure, sure. So um, the uh, the first panel, um, again, was um, looking at uh, the adoption of um, of HIPAA transactions. And um, so there were three different um, considerations within this um, panel and um, around the standard adoption, um, uh, there were there were several questions then that drilled down even further into that. So um, even just before the listening session happened, we did um, send the questions that NCVHS was posing. Uh, we sent that out to our members as a survey and asked for feedback. And we received a small number of responses. We had a quick turnaround time on that. But we were um, able to include those uh, some of those responses in our comments, which was really helpful because we were able to get, you know, voices of the organizations that will be affected by these final recommendations. And it's an opportunity for our members who may not have been invited to participate in the listening session to have you know, uh, their say or allow their voice to be heard on these topics. Um, so one of the, um, I think, overall thoughts, comments that I have about the, um, the questions and, and just the, the discussion that happened there is a lot of the questions and the, the topics are not simple, easy to answer, <laughs> um, you know, issues. There, there's, broad considerations that really need to be explored. Uh, some of the um, concepts that are being considered are different for the industry. And so there, there needs to be some broader consideration um, in some of the ideas that are coming forward. Can you, can you give us an, sorry about that. Can you give us an example of that? Sure. So um, one, the first question that was asked um, was asked actually of providers, and they were asked if there would be value in having a choice between app-based standards and X12-based standards. And, you know, this is one of those questions where um, it sounds like, a, okay, one or the other and, and uh, give us your answer. But it really raises, uh, again, these broader questions, um, you know, um, 
and 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 some of this is um, again, you know, where we need to have um, probably some more work within the industry before we can really come to a decision on this. Uh, you know, most importantly is how do the app-based standards and the X12 standards work together? Do they work together? Um, is it possible to mix and match them? So if um, if you're um, well in um, uh, you know, working your systems are working well in terms of doing certain transactions using the X12 transactions, but um, you haven't really implemented um, maybe a couple of those X12 transactions because you haven't found the business value in doing that. And now there's an app-based solution. Can you implement the app-based solution for those? And how will that interact with your X12 transactions? So can you do that mixing and matching? And um, we also asked how vendors are, you know, able to support all of this. Um, providers really rely heavily on their vendors to provide them with the solutions um, for um, doing these transactions. So in, in many ways, you know, what can the vendors do with this? And then obviously, you know, it's always <laughs> a comment or a question about what's the cost. So if you're going to be supporting both um, X12 and app-based um, transactions, you know, what's the cost for that. Um, and there was one um, thought that I um, that really uh, uh, summed up the um, provider's perspective. Um, it was a comment from um, the, um, the came in our survey, and it said, most providers just want a solution that works. So choice is really the solution provided by their vendors. And I thought that was a really great summary of, you know, what the, what the providers are looking for in this area. Right. Well, I think what's exciting about this whole conversation, though, is um, the, that this conversation is happening. Ten years ago, there was no, there was, we, we wouldn't have understood that idea of app-based at all. Right. Um, so it is kind of exciting that now we, we at least what is being considered seems like it's it's uh, timely. Right. Uh, whether one is chosen above the other, or whether it's a mix, as you say, um, at least we're uh, getting ahead of the curve because government's always uh, being accused of being 10 years behind. Right. Yes. Yes. And actually, you touch on that and it, it um, brings up um, a comment that I made. Um, and I believe Ed was talking about something similar to this um, when you, uh, and he uh, talked about the listening session, but um, you know, when we're looking at the technology, you know, what is it going to accomplish? So um, I think for any of the organizations involved in healthcare, whether it's, you know, payer or provider, and even on the vendor clearinghouse side of things, you, you want a smooth workflow. You know, you want to be able to do whatever your primary goal is, you know, see those patients or manage your, your members within your health plans. Um, and then if it comes to needing to send something, um, you want a smooth process. How do I get that inputted? How does that get transmitted? Um, you know, does it get there quickly? Do I get an answer? All of that. So ultimately, I think from, you know, the technology and, and change, you know, we always get accused of not wanting to change. But, um, you know, the, the question um, also comes down to what are we trying to accomplish? So if we can, 
get the data to move more quickly from the technology standpoint, but we still have business processes that require, you know, lengthy sort of reviews on, on either end or, or delays and sort of getting additional information or delays and being able to provide a response. What are we accomplishing then? Are we putting, you know, a lot of technology that's, you know, fun and has all these bells and whistles, but at the end of the day, you still are, um, you know, have those same days in terms of um, waiting for those answers to come back. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the, the new accounting systems that some of us get in, uh, in, our, in, our, uh, in our companies, right? Where it, it makes it very fluent for maybe one of the parties involved, uh, but the rest of us, it takes two more hours to, to submit a receipt <laughs> for a, a $2 coffee. So I understand that completely, right? Yeah. And I think too, um, we had a comment that, that touched on this as well, where uh, it's a little slightly different approach to it, but uh, saying we are interested in technology. Again, you know, everybody accuses um, you know, definitely on the provider side of, you know, not liking new technologies. But, um, you know, this comment was saying, you know, we are interested in the technology that improves the data and the quality of the transactions. But um, what are the efficiencies with that technology if they're based on the same data at the core? So, again, you know, if we're still sending, um, you know, a question that gives you an, a yes, no, but it doesn't give you the detail of, well, if this, then that, you know, this, or this is the, you know, more detailed information, then again, you know, having that technology that has bells and whistles, but if you still just get a vague yes, no, and you have to pick up the phone and call to say, okay, but what about this? What about that? You know, we haven't really moved the, the process or the, the efficiencies forward. And that was actually the second question that was asked specifically of payers, which was, you know, um, if we um, introduce more standards into the process, could it reduce the cost of your customer support? Well, again, you know, if you're, it depends on what information you're actually getting um, on the, on the provider side, I'll say, because, um, you know, those are the people then who'd be calling customer um, service. You know, if, if you're not getting the richness of the information, you're still going to pick up the phone and call. Right, right, right. You can actually make the, the whole process even more uh, elongated, right? Because you're using the tool and then you still have to verify or get the extra details. So you had a, a panel with uh, payers, providers, uh, vendors, um, many different entities with all different uh, goals and all different um, um, uh, things that drive them, intentions. Um, were there any areas of agreement by the panelists? I think so. And, um, and this was, it was interesting. You just said, you know, that um, there were providers, payers, standards development organizations, vendors, and, um, you know, Weedy being there, we have all of those organizations as members uh, in our multi-stakeholder organization. So it was interesting to hear, um, again, specifically from individual organizations, but then also comparing that to, you know, what Weedy has talked about in the past on these topics and um, what our positions have been in the past and then what we were seeing in the survey that we sent out with these specific questions. So there was some agreement. Um, one of the questions got into what are the pros and cons of having multiple versions of adopted standards? And I think it's pretty, um, you know, no 
not surprising that um, pros that were identified were the ability to test new versions of standards in production. And it's a way to allow the industry to migrate between versions based on their business needs. Um, and then the cons, there was you know quite a bit of agreement around this is going to be very complex to manage multiple versions and that there would be added costs for the maintenance and development of um, of the, having those multiple versions in production at the same time. Gotcha. Now, how about any uh, areas where the panel was in disagreement? So I, th I think, you know, it, at different times, there were panelists who had different approaches, um, and it didn't necessarily um, come off as complete disagreement among the group. Um, but um, the one area where I really saw that there was no real good agreement um, was around the question about the maximum number of allowed versions to be in production at the same time. So um, in our Weedy survey, we got uh, 14 responses on this particular question. And I think that our responses were very much in line with what we um, saw then by panelists. Um, and, and I think it really represented the wide range of voices within our membership. So five were in favor of just one version being allowed at any time. Um, five were in favor of two versions, but there was disagreement as to which two versions they should be. So it was either the current version and the next one under development, or it was the current version and the previous one. Um, and then there were comments that were kind of a mixture. Um, one was you know, three is okay, but two is better. Uh, three would be extremely um, difficult, especially for small organizations. Um, you know, we understand the merit of having more than one, but the complexities are too difficult. So um, you know, really that mixture of um, responses to that particular question. So Nancy, um, can I ask you with those yeah. responses, right? And, and Weedy, like you said, has uh, payers, vendors, providers. Um, did you find that they were different and, and um, uh, in disagreement, let's say, um, because of the entity they represented? In other words, providers were more comfortable with, with just doing one while a payer saw the benefits in doing two? Or was it that payers had different, uh, different opinions amongst themselves? Even? Um, that's a good question. I think that um, I'd have to go back and look more closely at the data to compare, you know, cause, because we didn't collect... Um, specific organizational information on the survey, we had it be anonymous, but um, we did ask respondents to say who generally, what category did they fall into, payer, provider, vendor. But, but I would have to go back and look at that a little more closely. Um, I do think that overall, what we were hearing um, from the vendors participating is that they do have the ability to build what whatever solutions, you know, the industry is looking for. Um, but I do think that um, it was more of the providers in favor of one or, or two at the most um, because of the complexities that they expect by having more than one. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and in your survey, you also um, surveyed about HIPAA exceptions. Is that right? Yeah. So the third question um, or the third consideration 
by um, NCVHS um, had a couple of questions and under it, but it had to do with the HIPAA exceptions process. So right now what happens is that um, if you want to do something that isn't the mandated HIPAA transactions, you have to submit to CMS a um, proposal about that project and what you're going to do. And, um, and, and you have to get approval for that project before you can start it. And um, I guess throughout this process, uh, there have been some um, comments made about wanting to do more piloting or more testing of um, variations of the standards. And, um, but it's been difficult to get um, those projects, those HIPAA exceptions approved. And so they were asking some questions around um, it, potential changes to that HIPAA exceptions process. Um, the, the question that was posed or the consideration, I should say, that they were um, putting out there is what if they um, took away the, the, the need for approval and just have it be that if a um, if covered entities submit a, um, a request, for HIPAA exception, that just submitting it alone would be what they would need to do, and then they could get the project started. And um, there were a mixture of comments about um, that, um, um, you know, proposal. Uh, but um, I think that ultimately um, there would um, there was more um, support overall that that there should be um, approval of the project before it is started. Um, and that was Weedy's position because there were concerns that if um, you know, all these projects are going on and there isn't um, somewhere where there's more um, oversight in those projects and what's happening and, and making sure that they're, um, you know, meeting a certain level of I hate to say standard, but um, that it, that would just add a lot of complexity uh, to be tracking exactly what all is happening in the industry if, if um, those projects are, you know, sort of spun up and, um, uh, and happening pretty quickly. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so um, you had a panel. Uh, There's five questions put before this listening session at NCVHS. Um, what happens next? Uh, what's, what's the next step here? Sure. So um, the subcommittee um, is going to be reviewing all the comments that were made by the panelists. They were recording. So they were saying they were going to be going back and listening and, and catching, um, you know, all of the details that were being presented. And then um, the panelists were also invited to submit any additional information. It, the timing went fast. We had an hour and a half for the panel one, and uh, we were each given three minutes to, to speak on the different questions. And we, we wow. went over on our time. <laughs> um, it, there was a lot of um, information to share in a short amount of time. So we were all invited to submit um, additional information in writing if we wanted to. And Weedy is planning to send a letter along with the survey um, data that we received. And um, the um, full NCVHS committee is meeting in July on the 20th and 21st. And um, the subcommittee did say that they're planning to report out on the listening session at that time. Um, Weedy is going to be 
uh, attending that meeting and um, we're definitely interested in hearing the conclusions from the subcommittee. Um, it's unclear if they will have some draft recommendations for the full committee to consider or if they're still just going to be reporting out on, um, you know, the a summary of what happened. Um, what we typically see is in this particular type of activity, the subcommittee will draft um, a letter summarizing the work and, and um, uh um, providing recommendations and, and the rationale around that. And then um, NCVHS does a review of that letter, finalizes it, and then that gets sent to the secretary. And, um, and then it's really up to the secretary then to act on those recommendations, whether it's, um, you know, passing that on to the appropriate agency within the department or, or work within, you know, the leadership there at HHS itself. Gotcha. So, so it sounds like the minimum that we can expect is a, you know, a kind of summary of all the comments and all the, the answers and the questions that the, the panelists in NCVHS discussed from that meeting. And then what is hoped for is that it gets, it gets condensed into very specific recommendations. Would, would you say that recommendations for regulatory action, right? Would you say that, um, that there was enough agreement among the various parties at that listening session where you could see the NCVHS would be able to synthesize certain uh, goals or objectives uh, from that listening session for HHS? I have to say that I give a lot of credit to <laughs> NCVHS and the subcommittee for um, weaving together everything that they heard and being able to, um, you know, can uh, come to some conclusions out of that because yeah, there, there was, you know, some of the comments were complete opposite ends of the spectrum and um, yeah, I'm not sure exactly what their, their deliberation process is in terms of, you know, figuring out how to, um, how to consolidate all that and, and come to one recommendation for how to move forward. So um I don't want to even try to make a guess on, on how they might, um, um, you know, uh, finalize any particular topic um, that that was discussed during the meeting. Okay. Very good. Well, maybe we'll swing back and check with you uh, later this summer and, and see how it all uh, all comes out in the wash. Uh, Nancy, any final words? Uh, any resources uh, that you want to point the um, listeners to? Um, I think that, um, you know, obviously, if you're interested more in NCVHS, their website has, you know, the postings of their previous meetings and presentations that have been given. I think and the these are public meetings. Is that right? Yeah, they're public meetings. I think the recordings are posted as well. So if you really, you know, need something for a long car ride <laughs> <laughs> that you want to listen to, Um the, um, you know, so NCVHS is definitely where you can go to get more information on the work that they're doing. And uh, in terms of Weedy, I did say that um, we will be doing a letter with some more information. And I would expect that that'll get posted to the Weedy website. We um, do typically post our letters to our website. So um, that, I forget what the deadline was that we had to get that submitted, but I think it's, pretty quickly. So we would have a letter up um, within the next week or so. Very good. And that's at weedy, W-E-D-I dot org. Right? Correct. 
All right. Well, thank you very much, Nancy. Appreciate you having you on today and talking to us a bit more about NCVHS and the goings on. Thank you, Matthew. It's been uh, great talking to you as well. Very good. So we've had a great discussion today with Nancy Spector, chair of the Weedy Board and coding and HIT advocacy director at the American Medical Association. And we talked to her today about the NCVHS hearing. This has been the collective voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. You can find this episode and many more on our website, weedy.org. Thank you all for joining us and be safe.